Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, how close is a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas? Israel's special war cabinet met today to discuss the deal, and both President Biden and Israel's prime minister say the talks are progressing. Tonight, Melina Weiskup with the report. Another hospital is evacuated in the Gaza Strip, and Israeli forces find a rocket launch pad right near a home. More on that from Jason Perry. President Biden casting doubt on Beijing's agreement to help curb the flow of fentanyl. Iris Tao brings us what he's saying as officials point to the Chinese regime's track record of deception. Asking the unvaccinated to come back. The army wants soldiers who didn't get the COVID shot to return to service, indicating they're not a security threat anymore. Arian Postar reports. A Trump co-defendant is not heading back to jail. He was accused of making threatening posts on social media. Arlene Richards will bring us the story and why his defense held up. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. 240 Hamas captured hostages remain in Gaza as the Israel-Hamas war drags on. Now both sides are saying they're making progress on a deal to release some of them as the White House is cautiously optimistic. NTD's Melina Weiskup reports. Israel's special war cabinet met today to discuss a hostage exchange deal with Hamas, but it wouldn't be an all-for-all exchange. Reports are indicating that this would be around 50 Israeli women and children in exchange for around 150 Palestinians, and it also comes along with a four-day ceasefire in Gaza, though NTD has not been able to specifically verify the details of this deal that's underway right now. Both President Biden and Israel's prime minister have expressed cautious optimism. We are making progress. I don't think it's worth saying more, even at this moment, but I hope there will be good news soon. Very close. Uh, we could bring uh, some of these hostages home very soon, but I don't want to get into, into the details of things because nothing is done until it's done. Some family members of the hostages are also growing anxious with their government and how they are balancing the priorities of countering Hamas and getting their families home. We all feel, especially when we're talking about our families, that this should be the top priority. It doesn't mean that we should not care about taking down Hamas. Absolutely not. Nobody is claiming that. Nobody is saying that. But we definitely have a criticism on how this prioritization goes. And the latest move here from the U.S. Congress is that 13 Democrat senators are now pressuring President Biden to make a deal with Israel for them to open up their border to allow humanitarian aid to get into Gaza. Now the Biden administration is changing its posture on this issue. National Security Spokesperson John Kirby today said that the U.S. would not support Israel military action in Gaza unless there is a plan to protect civilians. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. More hospitals in Gaza are under the microscope as Israeli forces continue to battle Hamas terrorists. But it's not only at hospitals. The IDF located a rocket launch pad right near a home. NTD's Jason Perry has the story and a warning. This report contains footage that some viewers may find disturbing.
More patients were seen evacuating another hospital in the Gaza Strip, the Indonesian hospital, and they were evacuated to the Al Nasser Hospital in southern Gaza. We were moved to hospitals and now we are at Nasser Hospital and by God's will they will move us to a European hospital. They gave me a little girl whose parents were killed. Her parents are unknown. I hope to find someone to adopt her. Thank you. On Tuesday, Israel Defense Forces released an infographic detailing information that Hamas not only uses the Indonesian hospital for terrorist operations, but also Sheikh Hamad Hospital, Rantisi Hospital, Al-Shifa Hospital, and Al-Quds Hospital. And on Monday, the IDF uncovered a weapons laboratory inside a mosque where terrorists made rockets and other explosives. The IDF also released another video showing the location of a rocket launch pad located just yards away from a family residence. Israel later fired on the site. The video demonstrates the IDF's precise strike capabilities as the women and children were later seen evacuating the home, which was unharmed. Terrorists making rockets inside a mosque, taking advantage of Islam and the symbols of Islam in order to produce terrorism. This is how we work, revealing to the world Hamas's methods of using mosques, schools and hospitals in order to hide its terrorist infrastructure. Also on Tuesday, South First responders released gruesome footage of the October 7th massacre. People were seen walking away from the music festival as Hamas terrorists drove in with weapons and opened fire on the crowd. Hamas terrorists killed over 1,400 people that day, including at least 360 from the music festival. The red dots on this interactive map from OCT7map.com represent not only the locations where individuals were killed at the music festival, but also those in the many villages along the Gaza border. That terrorist act sparked the war, and Israel has remained determined to make sure such an act never happens again. Israel also continues to battle Hezbollah terrorists in Lebanon. On Tuesday, the IDF said they responded to rockets and anti-tank missiles by using fighter jets to strike Hezbollah terrorist bases in Lebanon. Jason Perry, NTD News. Turning now to former President Trump's legal battles in Colorado, the group seeking to remove former President Trump from the state's primary ballot is filing an appeal. This after a district court judge refused to disqualify Trump from running for another term. Meanwhile, Trump's own legal team has filed a separate appeal asking the court to reconsider parts of its ruling. That includes the decision that found Trump had incited the January 6th Capitol breach in 2021. Other parts of the appeal raise the question of whether a district court even has the authority to determine a candidate's qualifications for the ballot. The former president is currently facing 91 criminal charges. He has pleaded not guilty to all of them. One of the Trump co-defendants in the sprawling Georgia Rico case doesn't have to go back to jail despite his social media posts. Our legal correspondent Arlene Richards reports tonight. A Trump co-defendant won't face jail time. Harrison Floyd was the only one of 19 co-defendants to spend five nights in jail before posting bond. On Tuesday, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis asked the judge to send him back. The state contends that Mr. Floyd, the defendant that is here before the court today, violated three of the seven conditions of that bond. 
Floyd, the former head of Black Voices for Trump, is one of three co-defendants who allegedly pressured election worker Ruby Freeman to admit to election fraud. One of the conditions of the bond order was that Floyd perform no act to intimidate any person known to him to be a co-defendant or witness in this case. Fulton County investigator Michael Hill read one of Floyd's social media posts about the election worker Freeman. This is a cover-up, all caps, and Fulton County is corrupt, all caps, with an exclamation point. Um, it is once again that same image of Ms. Ruby Freeman at her home via uh, Cobb County Police uh, body cam. And underneath the image, uh, it says, so this begs the question, if Ruby Freeman didn't trust white people to help her, <coughs> what did she say to the black people that offered to help her? I'll wait for you to get your popcorn. Willis then asked Hill to read a comment in response to Floyd's post. There is a comment. It comes from um, underneath this post. And the comment uh, comes from at full Ford Leonard. And the uh, statement is bury this under the jail. On cross-examination, Hill could not confirm that Floyd's posts were directly sent to people he tagged, whether he had contact with the people who commented to his posts, nor why Floyd made some of his own posts. The defense asked Hill to read another of Floyd's posts with a comment. So the comment under Mr. or Defendant Floyd's post, Black American Dems want the Black Trump guy to tell me, to tell on the racist white Republicans, but only if it's President Trump, LOL. Uh, look, the truth is that at Georgia Secretary of State and at Gabriel Sterling are the pieces of uh, fecal emoji uh, you should be mad at. Uh, make elections fair again, hashtag fraud, hashtag Fulton. And then there's a comment from Brooklyn, uh, Fl Brooklyn Flowers that states, you're in all caps broke and going to waste more money putting forth this e all caps election lie. Uh, we, want, we can't wait to all caps lock you up here in Georgia as if those five days you spent in Fulton jail wasn't enough. The defense then asked this. Are you aware that this is actually what Mr. Floyd is responding to is a comment? That's not a comment that's in response to his post. That's making him that's him posting a response to this message he received. Were you aware of that? No, I'm not aware of that. Willis also called top election official Gabriel Sterling and Freeman's attorney Von DuBose to the stand. They both testified that Floyd's posts were threatening. After hearing the testimonies, Judge Scott McAfee declined to revoke the bond, which means Floyd can remain free ahead of a future trial. He said that the bond terms need to be modified to reflect the nuances of social media. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Should the U.S. trust the Chinese Communist Party? President Biden casting doubt, and some Republicans say we shouldn't believe a single word from the regime. NTD's Iris Tao has more on a recent deal in which China agreed to stop the flow of deadly fentanyl from reaching the U.S. After announcing a deal with China to curb the flow of fentanyl, President Biden now sounding skeptical about whether the Chinese regime would actually follow through. Watch. So the United States is going to seek to work together with China to target the fentanyl components. We're not just going to trust that this is happening. We have to verify it. 
During the APEC summit in San Francisco last week, the White House announced that China had agreed to work with the U.S. to crack down on chemicals needed to make fentanyl, nearly all of which come from China. For more than a year, Chinese officials have been reluctant to cooperate with the U.S. to curb this flow. And now, despite this deal, Biden's director of drug policy, Rahul Gupta, is also casting doubt on Beijing's words by pointing to the fact that the last time China had agreed to crack down on fentanyl in 2019, it just started instead to ship the ingredients needed to make it to Mexico. Republican Senator Rick Scott saying directly in the statement that he does not trust a word that Xi Jinping says and neither should any American, including Joe Biden. Congressman Mike Gallagher also skeptical about last week's agreement. I'm skeptical of the fentanyl agreement, I have to confess, only because we've seen this movie before. But we tend to pay cash up front, but for the CCP, the check is always in the mail. Just last month, the Justice Department indicted eight Chinese companies in the fentanyl supply chain. The DOJ says they use a wide range of trafficking tactics, from encrypted messaging apps to fake shipping schemes and Bitcoin payments, all to ply and cover their trade, leading to the deaths of Americans. Back to you. We now know the dates and locations for the three presidential debates next year, and we might see a third-party candidate on stage for the first time in three decades. The first one is set for September 16th at Texas State University. The second one is on October 1st at Virginia State and the third on October 9th at the University of Utah. One vice presidential debate is scheduled for September 25th at Lafayette College in Pennsylvania. To qualify for the events, candidates and their running partners must have at least 15 percent in national polls. Third-party candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is averaging almost 17 percent at the moment. He'd be the first third-party candidate on stage since Ross Perot in 1992. As for former President Trump, his campaign says he is looking forward to debating President Biden at the events. However, it's not clear whether Biden will join. His team reportedly declined to comment on the recently announced debates. The Army now turning to a new source for possible recruits, unvaccinated former soldiers. This comes after the military kicked out soldiers who refused to get the COVID vaccine. Entities Arian Pazdar spoke with a retired Army colonel. The military discharged around 8,000 service members for not getting the COVID vaccine. Almost 2,000 of those were part of the Army. Now the Army is trying to get those soldiers back. Earlier this month, it sent out this letter to all soldiers discharged for not getting the vaccine, writing individuals who desire to apply to return to service should contact their local recruiter. On Tuesday, the Pentagon was asked whether this applies to the entire military or just the army. I don't, I'm hesitant to comment just because I haven't seen the letter and the contents of it, so I'd refer you for more specifics to the army. Yeah. Congress already ordered the military to drop its mandate months ago. However, of the almost 2,000 discharged soldiers, less than 20 have returned. The service members were forced out, oftentimes very ugly manner, and have gone on with their lives. And now they're saying, being told, please come back in. Well, yeah. John Mills is a retired army colonel. He says soldiers might feel betrayed, which is why they're not returning. Just last year, the army secretary said that unvaccinated soldiers are a risk to the force and that they jeopardize readiness. Now the army is ready to hire them back and change their records from involuntary discharge to honorable discharge. However, many are also calling for back pay, something the army is not talking about.
Are they owed back pay? Absolutely. Are they uh, owed uh, an upgrade to their discharge characterization? Absolutely. Congressman Ben Klein raised the same question, asking what about reinstating them at rank and paying them with back pay? The attempt to get the soldiers back comes as multiple military branches have struggled to attract people in recent years. The army missed its recruiting goal by 10,000 this fiscal year. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Coming up, a flash mob strikes again in Los Angeles. How it ended in thousands of dollars of merchandise stolen from a Nike store. Crime prevention, a top priority for San Francisco. Find out the plan to expand into new strategies as the holiday season approaches. And with Thanksgiving just around the corner, how much can you expect to spend on gas in Turkey? We'll bring you more on holiday prices after the break. Welcome back. The billionaire founder of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange and his company pleaded guilty to federal money laundering violations today. The settlement calls for Binance to pay more than $4 billion in fines and penalties. Tang Penjiao, the company's CEO, agrees to step down from the post of the exchange he founded. Federal prosecutors accused Binance of a calculated effort to profit from the U.S. market, steering clear of U.S. laws. In the settlement, Binance admits to anti anti-money laundering, unlicensed money transmitting, and sanctions violations. U.S. authorities say this is the largest corporate resolution to include criminal charges for an executive. The Los Angeles Police Department is looking for 17 people who are part of a recent flash mob stealing thousands of dollars in merchandise. NTD's Christina Corona has more on the story. A large group of juveniles stole around $12,000 worth of merchandise from a Watts Nike store Sunday in a quick raid caught on video. The LAPD says 17 people ransacked the store located in the 9800 block of South Alameda Street just before 6 p.m. Footage posted on the Citizens app shows the thieves rushing through the store with blue bags, grabbing merchandise off the shelves and clothing racks while shoppers watched. The people involved were described as four females and 13 males, believed to be 15 to 20 years old. The suspects escaped in five getaway cars, a tan Infiniti, a gray Kia SUV, a white Honda, a four-door Kia, and a black Audi. Authorities are actively fighting retail crime statewide, having recently arrested 137 suspects and recovered over $60,000 in merchandise. Authorities urge anyone with information on the Nike theft to contact Detective Juan Campos with the LA Police Department, or you can leave an anonymous tip with LA Crime Stoppers. Christina Corona, NTD News, Los Angeles. Meanwhile, in Northern California, combating retail theft is a top priority for San Francisco, according to the mayor. She says new strategies have been working and the city plans to expand them. NTD's Jason Blair has the report. 
With the holiday shopping season just around the corner, San Francisco's mayor says she's stepping up strategies to help combat retail theft. She announced that new state funding will go to the San Francisco police, the district attorney's office, and help fund 400 new license plate readers. Mayor London Breed said, quote, our police officers are out there making the arrest, and along with our district attorney, they are sending a clear message that if you target our retailers, you will be arrested and charged. Two weeks ago, Breed and the San Francisco police chief said that the city's new strategies have been working. Despite the challenges that exist with limitations around our laws, our officers are still making arrests. We're seeing a decline in retail theft. We're seeing a decline in car break-ins. We've done over 40 retail theft blitz operations in the past year, over 40. We've arrested over 230 people for retail theft. The mayor's office says SFPD will significantly increase blitz operations over the next three years. The office describes blitz operations as, quote, strategic deployment of a number of officers inside a retail location or shopping district. The officers work from a central command post and quickly move in to make arrests when thefts occur. Breed's office also stated that the district attorney will add a full-time assistant district attorney and a district attorney investigator. And when we give them the evidence that they need to find someone guilty, that they will do so to hold them accountable. Since the pandemic, San Francisco has been struggling with an image problem, especially on the topics of crime, homelessness and open-air drug use. According to medical examiner documents, the city is on track to record its deadliest year of unintended drug overdoses. Breed's office noted that larceny theft rates are down 11 percent compared to last year, crediting new bait car operations and plainclothes police. Reporting in San Francisco, Jason Blair, NTD News. Preparing a Thanksgiving feast won't leave your wallet starving for cash. The American Farm Bureau Federation says the price tag on the food items needed for Thanksgiving feasts this year is a little less expensive compared to 2022. John Lorink reports. The turkeys that received presidential pardons this week won't be the only ones giving thanks on Thursday. Just in time for holiday travel, gas prices are down $1.70 from their peak. Airline tickets are down 13% over the last year, and car rentals are down about 10%. And there's something else to celebrate. The turkey, stuffing, vegetables, and if you're in the South, macaroni and cheese needed to feed 10 people this Thanksgiving costs an average of $61.17, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. While that is 25% more expensive compared to 2019, it's a 4.5% drop from 2022. Grocery inflation is at its lowest level in over two years, with prices for eggs, milks, bacon, and fresh veggies lower than last year. Consumers can also try to trim the food bill even more by looking for deals on their grocery store shelves. In the last several years, we've seen a significant uptick in um, folks shopping store brands rather than name brands. That's um, a good way to, to save some money um, without skimping on, on quality. The AFBF says people in the Midwest have the least expensive Thanksgiving meal on average, followed by the South, the West, and the Northeast, respectively. I'm John Lawrence reporting. 
The American Farm Bureau Federation's survey is based on prices in all 50 states and Puerto Rico, taken from November 1st through the 6th. If you're driving to your Thanksgiving holiday destination, get ready for a break at the pump. Gas prices are expected to be at the lowest level since 2020. But as we know, road trip costs can add up quickly. Here are five tips to get better mileage and save money if you're hitting the road. More than 49 million people are expected to hit the road this Thanksgiving holiday. According to AAA, that's up 1.7% from last year. The demand for travel just continues to go up year after year. And this Thanksgiving is no exception. And drivers will be greeted with a welcome sight at the gas pump. Gas prices are tumbling fast across the country. According to GasBuddy.com, national average Thanksgiving gas prices could hit their lowest levels since 2020. Overall, Americans are going to be greeted with gas. Gas prices out on average are about 45 cents lower than what they were last year. Despite the break at the pump, road trip expenses can add up. So what can you do to minimize costs? Gas Buddy has these five tips. First, plan your trip well. The state where you fill up will impact prices and those costs add up every time you fuel up. Some states like California, the average is still $4.95. Well, some states like Texas are almost $2 a gallon lower at about $2.75 a gallon. Number two, watch your speed. Slowing down even a few miles per hour on the highway can increase your fuel efficiency. Three, shop around. Don't just pull over at the nearest station and use apps to help you find the cheapest gas near you. It always can pay to shop around, especially with prices now declining for nine straight weeks. Some stations are lowering their prices much quicker than others. Four, take advantage of perks. Consider signing up for loyalty programs to get discounts or use a rebate credit card. And finally, pay in cash. Some stations offer cash discounts. Coming up, that electric vehicle may cost a lot more than what's on the sticker. Hidden costs affect not only EV owners, but also people who don't even drive. And Ford scales back a plant in Michigan that partners with a Chinese EV battery maker. An energy policy analyst joins us to discuss the decision. That and more after the break here on NTD News. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some today's top headlines. Israel said it's close to making a deal with Hamas to release some of the Israeli hostages. Reports that the deal would swap around 50 Israeli women and children for 150 Palestinian prisoners, and it would come with a four-day ceasefire in Gaza. A judge in Georgia decided not to revoke the bond of one of former President Trump's co-defendants. The judge said the bond agreement for Harrison Floyd needs to be modified to reflect the nuances of social media, but he can remain free. President Biden reached a deal with China to curb the flow of fentanyl, but he voiced skepticism about whether China would actually follow through, saying we're not just going to trust that this is happening, we have to verify it. Electric vehicles may cost a lot more than you think. A new report says hidden costs will impact not only EV owners, but also people who don't even drive. NTD's MSG talks with the report's author. An electric vehicle's lifetime cost may be far higher than that of a traditional vehicle with an internal combustion engine. Hidden costs can make EVs more expensive than they seem, and all of society may have to pay part of those additional costs. 
a new report from the Texas Public Policy Foundation finds those hidden costs in many areas. Every time an EV charges, it imposes extra generation, transmission, and distribution costs on the power grid. As more EVs charge, more money will need to be spent upgrading the grid, likely raising costs for all energy users, even if they don't drive. Meanwhile, government policies have also made it more expensive for non-EV drivers. Taxes and subsidies burden drivers of gas-powered vehicles, and stringent fuel economy standards make them more expensive. Zero-emission mandates force automakers to sell a certain number of EVs, which can increase the cost of traditional cars. Americans themselves aren't buying as many EVs as the auto industry anticipated, and carmakers are losing money on them. We felt like it, would, it was important for us as we're embarking on this, the Biden administration's embarking on this huge plan to roll out EVs uh, to put some cost to what we're paying. This. Report co-author Brent Bennett says the additional cost to an EV owner could be more than $53,000 over the vehicle's lifetime. He says there should be more transparency about this and that current government policy is driving the industry off an economic cliff. The first thing that we should be doing is buying more hybrids because they use a battery that's 50 to 100 times smaller than an electric vehicle battery. So you can get a really small battery and you can uh, improve your fuel economy by 50% or so. Uh, and, you ha- and you don't need to rely on the electric infrastructure, but instead the whole system is geared towards all EVs or nothing. And that just doesn't make any sense at all. President Biden wants 50% of all new vehicle sales to be electric by 2030, and he's issued executive orders to achieve this target. Emma Shi, NTD News. Automaker Ford is scaling back plans for a $3.5 billion plant in Michigan. The project includes a partnership with a Chinese company to make electric vehicle batteries. Joining us now to discuss, we have David Blackmon, energy writer and policy analyst. David Blackman, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. To begin, Ford is actually scaling back one of their battery plants in Michigan. This costs about $3.5 billion. Now, reports are noting EV demand is dwindling as labor costs are rising. How do you read this move by Ford? Well, you know, that's all part of a program they announced uh, several weeks ago to to scale back about $12 billion of plant investments through delaying or canceling certain factory and and other investments uh, in their EV division. They've lost a lot of money in in their electric vehicle division this year. Uh, They're projected to lose about $4.5 billion altogether in their EV division. So they're they're having to scale back costs as consumer demand. It's still still fairly healthy, but it's not growing at the rate they anticipated and not growing at the rate the Biden administration had predicted it would. and so these automakers see their inventories building up both in their factories and on dealer lots. And they're having to sell cars below cost right now to try to reduce those inventories. And now they're also scaling back these investments. And, and they're also delaying the introduction of new models to try to adjust to the realities of the market. Hmm. And in terms of this facility in Michigan, there's been controversy around it since Ford announced it back in February. That's due to Ford's licensing with a Chinese battery manufacturer known as Cattle. Now, there's concerns about IP theft, even a Chinese Communist Party branch inside the company. Do you see that as part of Ford's scaling back? 
Uh, possibly. I mean, it's certainly bad PR. It, it doesn't help anything, you know, to have those associations with China. Uh, cattle has been very aggressive in in tying up lithium supplies, and, and uh, they just made a deal with Bolivia earlier this year to tie up largely the Bolivian supply of lithium and uh, monopolize the battery making there in that South American country that is an enormous supply of lithium. So uh, Cattle is, is uh, a global company. They invest all over the world. And, uh, you know, it's not surprising Ford is in an arrangement with them on this, but it's certainly not good PR for the company here in the United States. Hmm. And zooming out, reports are noting the d slowing demand for EV. You also mentioned that earlier. Where do you see this going? Are EV cars the future? Is it a hybrid mix? Um, <laughs> I, you know, people ask me that a lot. I think we're going to end up with a hybrid mix of, of electric vehicles, hydrogen vehicles, hybrids, and gas-powered vehicles as we go through time. Uh, electric vehicles are not the answer to all applications or even most of them. Uh, they, they have too many limitations, and, and that includes resource limitations like lithium, uh, like the, the other. There's a whole array of energy minerals that electric vehicles require to exist and, and to continue to grow. And, you know, uh, you're not going to be able to in increase the supply as dramatically as projections say they're going to have to in order to meet demand. And, and so I think car makers are going to be in a state of, of dramatic flux for a long time. And that's going to create a lot of challenges for them from a capital standpoint and the ability to, to maintain profitability and things like that as we go through time. And these policies, mandates and subsidies from the federal government and all this central planning that's going on is not helping things. It's actually creating these per perverse incentives for these companies that's causing them to lose a lot of money and, you know, plan all these investments that they end up having to scale back or cancel entirely. And that's bad for the overall health of the industry here in this country. Hmm. And you did touch on lithium. You actually have a piece out in Forbes noting that ExxonMobil is planning to become a player in lithium. That is quite surprising, but tell us about the significance of this. Well, it's very significant. There's an enormous resource of, of underground lithium in a brine formation 10,000 feet below the surface in southern Arkansas. It's called the Smackover Formation. We've been drilling, the oil and gas industry has been drilling oil and gas wells into this geologic zone uh, for decades, uh, over 100 years. And uh, ExxonMobil, uh, being an oil and gas company, the way to produce the brine is to drill a well with an oil drilling rig. It's essentially the same kind of drilling rig you drill an oil well with. It involves all the same expertise internally at the company, and, and the, uh, the science is the same as what they already have on staff. And so this is a perfect fit for a big oil and gas company with a lot of capital to spend, like ExxonMobil, to go in and produce become one of the, they're going to become one of the biggest producers of lithium in North America as a result of tapping into this formation and they're going to be able to do it very rapidly with a, a technology that's going to allow them to capture this lithium very efficiently and effectively and they're going to become a major supplier to US automakers 
uh, largely through the relationships they've had with these car companies for a century now. You know, ExxonMobil and other major oil companies who are gasoline retailers have, have long worked with Ford and GM and, and Stellantis uh, over the decades to, to match their products to the technology that automakers are making. So this is a natural fit for a company like Exxon, and it's a real boost, I think, to the Biden administration's overall policy plans in the energy space. And on that note, do you see this move by ExxonMobil a signal that EV or at least hybrids are the future here? Um, I, you know, I, I think it's a signal that EVs and hydrids are part of the future. Uh, when you when you talk to folks at Exxon, they recognize that they and they recognize they want to be engaged and involved in that sector of the business. But at the same time, and in fact, their CEO, Darren Woods, made a speech out in San Francisco uh, at the APEC conference last week in which he restated the company's belief that, you know, oil and gas is going to be around for many decades to come and we need to plan accordingly. And it would be the most productive approach if the Biden administration and future presidents plan to have oil and gas around. And, and this, the fact that ExxonMobil, the biggest oil company in the country, is now going to become one of the largest providers of lithium in the country tells you the value of keeping companies like that healthy and thriving into the future. Seems at the very least Exxon is the hybrid here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's right. That's good. I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> for your next piece, Saul David Blackmon, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Coming up, a nine-year-old singer shares hits catchy song, Kindness is Cool. The little man doesn't seem intimidated by large crowds, and he's even become a kindness ambassador. And in fantasy sports, do some fans take the competition too far? NTD's Dave Martin joins us in the studio to discuss after the break. Welcome back. A nine-year-old singer just launched his song, Kindness is Cool, which he loves performing. Originally written for a Kindness is Cool movement. Let's take a listen, but watch out. It's kind of catchy. He goes by Big Lotus 415, and after sending his Kindness is Cool song to video platform Ganjing World, he was asked to become a Kindness Creator Ambassador. Inspiration of the song is that being kind and being nice and being nice to other people and being good and the young singer also performed at an indigenous artist event in San Francisco over the weekend with other artists from native backgrounds. I liked it because there was a big crowd and it was fun and I liked to do it because I liked the sound system was really good too and I liked how the people were cheering me on and it was really cool. This brings back memories when my sons used to perform. Uh, both of them had been in the music business since they were kids, so it's, uh, it's nice that it uh, runs in a family. People say the lyrics are catchy and meaningful. 
I think it was such a good message, especially coming from like a young person to really engage in such a beautiful way for us, especially as adults, to remember what it means to be kind to each other and making it cool and, and really thinking about listening to our youth is really important. Yeah, I was really impressed. I think the confidence on the mic is what I loved about it. Yeah. I love one of the songs he said from SF to the Philippines, and I love just like that global solidarity aspect of the song. Big Lotus says his goal was to make the music good and understandable with a positive message. He released an album in September and plans to do more. In San Francisco, California, David Lamb, NTD News. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, lots happening in the NBA. The season tournament continues tonight as this is the inaugural event. How do you think it's going thus far? Well, we're talking about it during football season, so I think that was its first goal. Now, generally, sports fans don't usually tune into the NBA until like Christmas Day when they schedule a whole bunch of games knowing that they'll have little TV competition. But the season starts back in October. Now another thing they did was entice the players for the winning team with like $500,000 cash prize per player. Now the average player makes $10 million, but $500,000 is still $500,000. Now as far as where we're at in this tournament, we're still at the group stage, which is the initial stage, but I'd say it's going well so far. Especially in this economy. Now, one of the teams in action tonight, the Sixers, have thrived since trading away their all-star James Harden. Meanwhile, his new team, the Clippers, have struggled. What do you make of that? Yeah, I'm surprised at how well Philly's doing. They're like 10-3. and three. Uh, I think what this has done, this has cleared the way for Tyrese Maxey to really star for them instead. You know, it's early in the season, but he's 10th in the league in scoring. He's proven to be one of the best shooters in the game. Now, conversely, the Clippers are just 5-7. and seven. That doesn't completely surprise me. Pretty much all their good players play like at the same position. I think it's going to take a little bit of time and probably some offensive creativity for this to work, but I think it's going to happen. And now moving to baseball's free agency. A star player from Japan has just entered the market, and some are projecting a nine-figure contract for him. Why would they pay that much for someone who's never played? Well, for one, because of Shohei Otani's success here. Otani has won two straight MVP awards unanimously. Nobody wants to miss out on the next Otani. Now, the player you're, you're referring to, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, he's not a two-way player like Otani. Nobody is. But he was won Japan's Best Pitcher Award three straight years, and he's only 25. Most baseball free agents are late 20s, early 30s, and they generally start to decline soon thereafter. So even though it's high risk because of his youth, it's also high reward. And now turning to the NFL, injured Viking star Justin Jefferson posted on X this morning, quote, my health is way more important than you winning your fantasy games. What exactly is he referring to here? <laughs> Some very overzealous fantasy football owners, apparently. Now, if you don't know fantasy football, basically whatever statistics a player accrues on the field, you know, yardage, touchdowns, turnovers, whatever it is, you get those points in their team. Jefferson is one of the best players in the game, but he's been injured for over a month. So, of course, if you have him on your team, you get no points. Now, fantasy football is pretty big. You know, 50 million Americans played fantasy sports last year. It's like a $9 billion industry. I've never actually heard that reaching out to a player to beg them to return from an injury works. You know, I don't know about your fantasy football experience, but for me, I've never tried that. So I wouldn't recommend it, though. Well, as always, thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you, Tiff.
And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.